Thursday nights, but everything has changed. Firstly, I'm giving it on a strange kind of medium for me. And I'm giving it from home. And while it's very nice to be home, it's a little strange that I'm forbidden to go out. I mean, the difference between jail and freedom is the front door. My front door is closed. I can't go in, I can't go out, I can't go in. I have to stay where I am. But I'm happy that along the way, I can give shirim. I can talk to people who are learning Torah. And I'm especially happy to give this shayur, which traditionally is a shir about Pesach, in honor of Dr. Chuck Feldman, a good friend and a, a very fine person. I've spoken about him in the past, and nothing has changed. You know, at night, on the night of Pesach, we have an obligation to tell the story. And since we're not so sure of ourselves what exactly the story is, what exactly we're supposed to say, so we have a Haggadah. And the Haggadah already existed, apparently, at the time of the Mishnah, but certainly appears as an addendum in the Rambam's book of Halacha. Haggadah, Haggadah Shel HaRambam. So the idea that a Haggadah was used, that a Haggadah was used in order to uh, tell the story, to tell the story in a proper manner, is a pretty old idea, which, uh, uh, which we got used to. And we use, each of us, you know, has a different, there's so many hundreds of Haggadot that have been published with all sorts of commentaries that we I used to that idea. Everybody sits down at the Seder, if you have a group. I mean, in my Seder this year, there'll be just two or three. But each one will have a Haggadah. And in our case, since we have a lot of Haggadot, you could choose the Haggadah that you think is the, the nicest, the most aesthetic, the most interesting, the most complicated, the most, the most, most. So the Haggadah might be a response to the demand of the Mishnah, of the Rambam, and of the Haggadah itself. In the paragraph beginning of Adim Ayinu, that paragraph ends, Kol amar Anyone who speaks at length about Yitziat Mitzrayim is beyond the necessary words, beyond the words that appear in the Haggadah beyond the words that appear in a commentary on the Haggadah, I think. But beyond all of that, there's an obligation. Obligation means a lot. To tell the story, to tell a lot of the story. So we wonder, we wonder we see this obligation to tell a lot. To talk a lot of the about the uh, about Yitziat Mitzrayim, and we're not sure exactly what we're supposed to do. You mean beyond the Haggadah? 
Does the Haggadah cover the Allot? Or is it something that goes beyond what the Haggadah says? Well, we can look in the Haggadah itself for hints that might help us to understand what Marbeh, Marbeh L'saper B'Yisiyat Mitzrayim, Arezad Mishubach. I mean, the thing that the Haggadah tells us is a story right after that paragraph about about Avadim Ayinu B'Parov Mitzrayim, and that paragraph begins, that story begins, Aseb Rabbi Eliezer, Rabbi Yoshua, Rabbi Lazar ben Azariah, Rabbi Akiva, Rabbi Tarifon, Shayum Esubim B'Bnei Brach, all these great Tanaim were sitting around eating a meal in B'Nei Brach. Vayum Esaprim B'Yitziat B'Yitzrayim Kol Oto HaLayla. And they were telling the story of Yitziat B'Yitzrayim all night long. So it sounds like the Haggadah says, Look, you want to be follow the great people? You want to do Marbeh Mitzapeh B'Yitziat Mitzrayim? Well, you better have something to say. I mean, after all these Tanaim, how long would it take them to say the Haggadah? But they spoke and told the story all night long, all night long, until the students came, the students of these great Tanaim, and said to them, Rabotenu, our, our leaders, our noble teachers, there are other obligations. There's also an obligation every morning to say Kriyat Shema, and the time has come. The time has come to say Kriyat Shema. So what are you just doing? So we learned from this story that even though the Haggadah, the Mishnah, the Rambam, they all want you to be Marbeh, and that the Tanaim did that. They apparently were able to tell the story all night long. Nevertheless, there's a limit. If there's a limit. You can't just tell the story. You have other obligations. And you can tell the story all night long, but you can't tell the story any longer. So that seems to be the answer of the Haggadah itself. It's not enough to say what's written in the Haggadah. It's not enough to tell the story as it appears in the Haggadah. But what we have to do is tell more, is tell our own story, tell what we have to say. But even if that were true, and that sounds kind of respectable and notable, tell your story. But what is that story? What is that story? I mean, there's no doubt that we are supposed to feel as though we left Mitzrayim, that we participated. This is what storytelling is about. It's different than remembering. Remembering is nothing personal. I have an obligation. There's a time, a time that I have to do something. There's a there's a, a war that I have to wage. There's a person I have to deal with, right? That, those are things that, that happen all the time. But how can you tell a story? You have to be part of the story. You have to be involved. It's not that the story is outside of you in the Haggadah. And to prove that it's not outside of you, the Haggadah, then you, the, the Haggadah itself says, If it's your story, if you were there, if you did it, it should be the easiest thing in the world. 
laharbot. But we know that these are nice words. They even contain an interesting idea. But what am I supposed to say? What story am I supposed to tell? Where is the direction that I get? Where's the direction I get for Sipu Yitziat Mitzrayim? What's the more that I could say? Okay, what's the more? You know that the end of Magid, the end of the storytelling, which consists of Drashot Rapsukim and some stories, we mention the ten plagues. Mention the ten plagues, we actually mention them. We don't say anything about them. We know that there's a minhag that everybody likes of dipping a finger into the wine and then dropping drops of wine. I mean, uh, incorrect story. But it's just a way of showing something, of, of making it making it more real. But the, the, the actual storytelling is in the Haggadah. And Haggadah says, say something. Say the names of the ten makot. So you say the names of the ten makot and you don't fulfill what the Ramam says. The Ramam says that the story of, uh, of uh, Yitziat Mitzrayim is mainly about the Nisim Niflaot, the miracles that God wrought for the benefit of B'nai Yisrael. And that's what you should tell. So here the Haggadah, it's sort of a denial of the Rambam. The Rambam says, talk about the Makot, talk about the miracles. And the, and the Haggadah says, okay, you can mention them, but don't dwell upon them. That's okay, it's a little strange. And so after, after the uh, section that uh, relates to the Ten Plagues, there's another piece of the Haggadah that starts with the word ma'aseh. Like the Haggadah says, I want to tell you another story. Another story that's relevant, important, necessary in order to tell the story of Yitzhak Mitzrayim. And it says the following. Rabbi Eliezer, Rabbi Yoshua, Rabbi Elizabeth, Azari, Rabbi Akiva. No, I'm sorry. Wrong story. Rabbi Yossi Aglili. That's the story we're, we're talking about. Rabbi Yossi. There was a Rabbi Yossi who was in the Galil. Who is in the north of Israel? Amar, minayin ataomer shelaku amitrimi mitzrayim eser makot va'alayam laku chamishim makot. How do we know? Rabbi Yosei says that the Egyptians in Egypt had uh, suffered suffered uh, ten plagues, and they were punished with ten plagues. Alayam. Al Hayam, but on the uh, on the sea, <coughs> Yam Suf. When they got to Yam Suf, they were they were suffered fifty makot, ten in ten in Mitzrayim, and fifty at Yam Suf. Now, I don't remember the Torah all that well. I, I don't know all the Psukim Baal Peh, but yes, me. Where does it say that there were 50 makot al-hayam? I would be kind of hard put to get an answer here. I don't know. So Rabbi Yossi Aglili explains his position. He says, the Mitzrayim, Mahu Omer, 
What does the Torah say about Mitzrayim? The, 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 the magicians, the sorcerers that worked for Paro, they said about the miracles, etzba. It's a finger, the finger of God. How many makot was the etzba, the finger of God? Ten. Therefore, you see that in Mitzrayim, ten. Ten equals finger, right? At Yamsuf, a whole hand. Yad Hagdola. So Yad is five times. So Rabbi Yossi Aglili says, "B'Mitzrayim laku eser makot, v'alayam laku chamishim makot." Well, I mean, I don't know. <laughs> what do you think of that? Does that sound like uh, Does that sound like a reality check? I mean, it's not like I don't believe Rabbi Yossi Aglili, but nobody seemed to believe Rabbi Yossi Aglili. Rabbi Eliezer, may I continue? How do you know, he says, or don't we know, that every plague that the Egyptians suffered was times four? Right? So that it says in the Pasuk, four different kinds of bad. Evra is one, and Zam is another one, and Sarah is another one, Shagabachim is another one. And Mormata, therefore, the Mitzrayim laku arba imakot. Not ten, but forty. Val hayam laku matayimakot. So Rabbi Eli, they, at Yam Suf, it must be, you just keep multiplying, and it turns out to be two hundred. So that's Rabbi Eliezer. So Rabbi Eliezer says to Rabbi Yossi Aglili, you've got the right idea, you've got to look for a lot of makot, but you've got the wrong numbers. My numbers are 40 and 200, right? Those are my numbers. Then along comes Rabbi Akiva. Rabbi Akiva, you know, was in some ways the head of the Chabura, the head of the group. He says, how do you know that every makah that HaKadosh Baruch Hu brought on the Egyptians was like five makot, five makot. And then he has, he has a proof, emor me'ata, therefore, in Mitzrayim laku, chamishim makot. In Mitzrayim, there were 50 makot. Yam laku chamishim umatayim makot. At Yam Suf, 250 makot. So you have three opinions. Three opinions that are based on nothing special. The first is Rabbi Yossi Aglili, then Rabbi Eliezer, then Rabbi Akiva. How many makot were there in Mitzrayim? Rabbi Yossi Aglili says 10, Rabbi Eliezer says 40, Rabbi Akiva says 50. Not much of a proof for any of these past questions, but the fact of the matter is that each one disagrees with the other. Each one disagrees with the other. And if each one disagrees with the other, it seems hard. I mean, what are they doing in the Haggadah? I mean, what does it help me to know 
that there was this machloket, which is not based on anything that I can see at the moment. I mean, what is it? What's the point? What is the point? After this story about the three Tanaim, right, Rabbi uh, Yossi Aglili, Rabbi Eliezer, and Rabbi Akiva, the uh, Haggadah turns to another matter. And the Haggadah says, We get to this section that is known lovingly as Dayenu. The reason for the loving attitude to Dayenu, of course, is that on the one hand, on the one hand, the tune is very catchy. And after after trying to figure out exactly what the what the Haggadah is telling us. We're happy to sing a little bit, to sing a snappy song, to sing a snappy song. And that snappy song that we sing is called Dayenu. But if we look at the words of the song, it seems to me to be a complex and difficult to understand collection of statements. Let's look at them. If God had taken us out of uh, Mitzrayim without taking care of the judgment of the Egyptians, that would have been enough. Why would that be enough? Why would we be happy if God had not judged the Egyptians? They deserve to be judged. They made us miserable. They went beyond the limits of their charge. They were they were like very unhappy. The second uh, uh, thing is, If they, if if God had judged them, but not judged their idols, dayenu. That would be. Well, what what do you mean? Why would that be dayenu? That would be missing. We'd be missing everything, and and the 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 poem Dayenu continues in that way. If God had done that, but not done what we really wanted, we'd be happy anyway. But beyond the surprise, beyond the surprise, the end of the end of Dayenu is absolutely unacceptable. What does the Dayenu say at the end? Natan Lanu. Just a second, it's because it's repeated. The Dayenu is repeated twice in different forms as though it is of special importance. Here. Look at the last Dayenus, the last four or five. If HaKadosh Baruch Hu had given us the Shabbat, but had not brought us close to Har Sinai, 
That's enough? What do you mean that's enough? I mean, Moshe Rabbeinu brought us out of brought us out of out of Mitzrayim in order to receive the Torah, not not to receive the Torah. The next one, Ilu Sinai, Torah. Oh, that's something that really strikes me as being over the top. Ilu Sinai. If God had brought us close to Har Sinai, but then not given us the Torah, Dayenu, what's Dayenu? Why do we want to stay next to Har Sinai if? Why do we want to stay next to Har Sinai? We're not going to get the Torah. I mean, it wasn't a tourist site. It wasn't someplace we were interested in. Uh, a proof when we left Har Sinai, we forgot about it. We took Har Sinai with us, perhaps, as the Ramban says, but we didn't actually have Har Sinai. How could this be? Next one. Ilu natan lanu Torah. If God had given us the Torah, and not brought us into Eretz Yisrael. I thought that was the idea. Wasn't that the promise to Abraham, to Yitzchak, and to Yaakov, will bring you to Eretz Yisrael? It'll become yours. You'll build the Beit Hamikdash. What do you mean, Lo Israel? Lo lanu et How does that sound? Lo So we have at the end of the story of at the end of the Magid. Two sections that are incomprehensible at first blush. First, the idea that there's an unknown number of miracles. Everybody could choose his own. Rabbi Eliezer, Rabbi Oseaglili, Rabbi Eliezer, Rabbi Akiva. They each had their own idea. Hundreds of, of makot and miracles took place where, in fact, the Torah, at great detail, tells us that there were 10 makot in Mitzrayim and that those 10 makot in Mitzrayim are named and numbered. There's no doubt about them. What was it exactly that these great Tanaim thought? They thought there's uh, some other material in the Torah that they haven't got. That there's some secret that uh, we don't know about. Then we come up to the song Dayeno and people don't pay attention to the words because they like to sing the song. And maybe because they know that Dayenu is kind of an introduction to food. And we're sort of finished with the difficult part, which is trying to figure out what we're doing there and what's the story that we're supposed to be telling. We've finished with that. We say Dayenu, we sing it, we're happy. What makes us happy on the night of, of the Seder? What makes us happier than, than food? So we have these two questions. And I think it, the answer to the two questions relates clearly to Kol Hamar Mishubach. The more you tell the story, the more you add on material, the more you see things in depth that you weren't able to see before, all of this is Mishubach. So I would say, I would say this. 
I say this, you know, like I, if I, if I have to be a, give a witness, I have to be witnessing, a witness to an event, to a robbery, to a murder. So the Gemara says you can ask the witnesses any kind of questions. You ask him, let's say, at a robbery, there were the, this Ruvain that you say was the robber. What color shirt was he wearing? Uh, what sort of bicycle did he have? I mean, things that have nothing to do with what you're coming to give witness about. But the but if you fail, if the witnesses fail to answer correctly, even irrelevant questions, their witness is called into doubt. Not acceptable. Not acceptable. Well, why is that? Why is that? I mean, if you could ask the witnesses any kind of question that they might make a mistake about it, and even though, you know, sometimes I go walking with a friend, might walk for an hour, and then afterwards you ask me, well, what color tie was he wearing? I wouldn't know. Not so easy to know those things. Not so easy to know those things. But the halacha seems to say, if you don't know the trivial points, you might be mistaking, mistaken about the main point. You might be mistaken. So that we can see working backwards, every story, every story has background stories. Every story, every story is more than the story itself. It's more than the story. And it all depends on what your idea of storytelling is. As we said, when you tell the story, when you tell the story on the night of Pesach, you have to imagine that it's your story, that it's about you. And so if you tell your story about yourself, you would know what the color shirt that you were wearing was. You would know the background of the story that you're telling about yourself. And that's the way to tell a story. You have to know it better, deeper, beyond what meets the eye. You're not an observer. You're a participant. And participants usually know what it was that was happening, even if we speak about details, small things, things that affect the way I understand the story. There's something else about storytelling. When you tell, write history, when you write history, you would say, well, the Jews left Mitzrayim, and their purpose was to get to Har Sinai, receive the Torah, and get to Eretz Canaan. So I've told the story. I've told the story. But I could tell a different story. I could say the Jews left Mitzrayim. It was difficult for them. They left the place that they had lived in, the only place that they had known. They left with stuff, but they didn't know what they were going to do with the stuff that they had. All of a sudden, all of a sudden, the story can become much more complex. When I divide up the story into, when I divide up the story into, pieces. I sort of say, it's not a story. It's not like the Jews going to Eretz Canaan. It's the difficult step-by-step 
story of Yitziat Mitzrayim. So along comes Dayenu, and Dayenu says, listen, it's not a story that just, but everything that happened to B'nai Yisrael was difficult. And you have to see every part of the story as being significant. Significant means if they took, it just took us out of Mitzrayim, that has a significance of its own. If God brought us to Har Sinai, that must have a significance of its own. We have to look for it. If God <coughs> gave us the Torah, but not brought us there, it's Kedat, it would be significant. So Dayenu teaches us about the essential nature of the Torah. The essential nature of the Torah, of the, of the story in the Torah, is that the story is meaningful. After you know the story, you have to ask yourself to review the story step by step. And in every step, you're going to find things that you didn't know about, things that you didn't understand about. And that's called Marbeh. That's called Marbeh Sipu Yitziat Mitzrayim. It's not a new story. But it's the vision of the old story. And so, along came the Tanaim. The Tanaim, Rabbi, Rabbi Yossi Aglili, Rabbi Eliezer, Rabbi Akiva. And they said, look, yes, there were 10 miracles. What's a miracle? Miracles also have beginnings and, and middles and ends. And they affect people. And they are the accepting of God and rejecting of God. I mean, that's a miracle. Miracles are difficult. Miracles are difficult to understand and difficult to absorb. So they agreed, all three Tanaim. They agreed that there were hundreds of miracles that actually happened in Yitziat Mitzrayim. Because if you would make the miracles into a kind of Dayenu song, each miracle would have a beginning and a middle and a beginning of the middle and an end of the middle and an end. And so the remes, the remes that the Chachamim looked for, they said in the Pasuk, we can argue, we can argue from the Pasuk that there were 50 makot, 40 makot, 50 makot, 200 makot, there were endless. It's not a limit. It's not a number that limits my ability to tell the story, but rather the story itself indicates that there were many more miracles that meet the eye and that's the nature of a story that you participate in because when the jews left mitzrayim and some old man had a had a uh, had a heavy suitcase and somebody came to help him and that was a miracle wasn't that wasn't that some sort of a miracle i mean we see it today where old people need a lot of help and that's a miracle Young people show up to help. So my answer to the question that we started out with, my answer to the question, right? The question was, how do you do it? How do you do marbel How do you do it? Just well, you follow the Tanaim, and you follow the Haggadah. The Tanaim said miracles, many more than meets the eye. And the, and the Dayenu says, look at it piece by piece, and you'll see more miracles 
than you ever imagined, right? Because that's the nature of a story. If you look at it carefully, it can be dismembered piece by piece. And the miracle that was a miracle could become full miracles very easily, very easily. So I wish you all well. I hope this is helpful in preparing for the Seder. Most important is, look at the material, look at the Haggadah, look at the Torah, the Pesukim in the Torah, and try to think about what it all means as a participant, as somebody who had the opportunity, the special opportunity, to leave Mitzrayim. We're not asking you to remember Yitzhak Mitzrayim. This is not an exam in which they ask you, what's the date of Yitzhak Mitzrayim? This is rather an invitation to participate in Yitzhak Mitzrayim, something that could happen every day, every day of the year, but we've designated one special day of the year for this event. We call it Pesach, and the time that we do this kind of reflection is at the Seder, Chag Kasher Vesameach.